Thanks for tuning in to the Rising Youth Podcast, featuring youth who have designed and launched community service projects to make a positive impact in their community. To learn more about the grants we offer, visit risingyouth.ca. I'm your host, Bridget Shields, and today we're joined by Rising Youth alumni, Chaya Kumar, who organized an arts and mental health workshop targeted at refugee and immigrant youth in Vancouver. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. So just to start off, um, where are you from? What place do you call home and why? So I was born and raised in Vancouver, BC. I call this place home just because it's such a big city, but also feels like a bit of a small town. So you get like a very nice balance of urban life and suburban life here. So to me, like I would say this place is home. Oh, that's great. I mean, I haven't been to Vancouver myself, but I actually heard it's really beautiful. It's supposed it's to be pretty. like one of the most like, yeah, scenic places in, in Canada, right? Yeah, we have like a nice balance of mountains, forests, city, suburbia, like oh. everything's in one place. So it's very nice. Yeah. Do you go hiking a lot? I heard that's like the done thing. Like I just hear hiking and, and loop like really big there. <laughs> Yeah, we have this thing called the Grass Grind, where it's like this two-hour trek up a mountain. It's definitely a, like a summer challenge. Uh, you wow. can like waste your friends going up. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> that sounds really, really chaotic. Is there any like bears up the trail or you don't have to worry about that? Sometimes. Occasionally there can be, but okay. you normally don't have to worry. Okay, cool, cool. That's that's good to know. Thank you from for when I plan my trip. Um, so let's just go into a little bit more about um, your community. So, what kind of things are you passionate passionate about within your community? So, one of the things I'm very passionate about is um, politics, specifically policies within our country, um, even our province or municipalities. Um, coming from an immigrant family, I've seen firsthand how immigration policy works in our area, especially our country, especially with like COVID um, kind of causing a massive backup in gaining citizenship, visas and work permits. It's been a little bit chaotic on that side. So the main target for this project was to be able to give back to the immigration community um, so that they can still be able to manage this very stressful time. Yeah, I, I definitely heard it's really stressful. I mean, um, just from a first person pr- perspective, I, I know I applied for my uh, PR recently and I heard about the backlog and just how big it is. And, um, you know, I know that it's such a stressful experience for so many people because you end up waiting, if not months, years for an answer. And a lot of people feel like they're essentially being ghosted by the government. So I know it's it's a really difficult um, experience. And, um, so I think like if people who are going through that need, need to get all the support that they can, it's, that's really, really hard. So when, when about did you get into, uh, po- policies and, and, and politics really, was it something that, um, you sort of fell into or was, was there a sort of a moment where you were like, Oh, this is what I'm interested in. So what happened was back in grade eight, our school has this model UN program for people who don't know it's model United Nations. Um, it was mainly started out as like a fun weekend trip to Whistler, you know, just out with friends. And then I really got into what was happening throughout the conferences and was like, wow, politics is actually kind of fun. 
And that's why I kind of started to really get into it, really like focus on it. I started reading the news a lot more, paying more attention in class when we talked about world issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I fell into this whole world of politics. Oh, on top of okay. that, I've been very involved in the community, especially when it comes to politics. I was mm-hmm. part of the Youth Constituency Council in Vancouver for a couple of years. So from there, you kind of get a gist of how the community feels about the policies in our area. Wow, that's really interesting. And it's really, really good, I think, for young people to be to be involved in that way. Is getting into politics, is that something what that kind of gave you the motivation? Or was that your sort of your idea for your project? Is that where it came from? It is. I know when I started this project, I wanted it to kind of reflect the political environment that we live in, in a way. So that, like, especially like during these times, like you said, it does feel like people I'm so in like groups within our community are getting ghosted by the government. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to be able to highlight that and give back to the community and make them realize that even though those on top might be ghosting um, minorities within our area, there's still people willing to give back. And it's not so it doesn't have to be so stressful. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean, I heard in terms of the backlog, I, the number is something like 600,000 uh, applications have have yet to be processed. And I, I mean, I'm just when I think about that, I wonder whether that is uh, something that is still happening because of COVID, or whether that's that's always existed, but surely other countries don't have such a massive almost waiting list for people. And I think what's what's worse about it is is uh, the not knowing. So you know, being so super uncertain about your future and whether or not you'd be allowed to stay in a country that you've already tried to make home. I think that that would be probably the worst part of it, of everything, really. Yeah, no, I've I've definitely heard some like firsthand stories of like mm-hmm. some of my friends coming from other countries to study here. And while they were here and while they were trying to get their student visas renewed, it yeah. um, expired during that time and they couldn't do anything about it. So like it's oh it's been God. a little bit crazy on that front. And I think yeah. part of the reason why is because like this is just my guess, but mm-hmm. it could be also because of like labor markets. There might not be enough people able to process all of these. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it's very like there's a lot of factors that weigh into the backlog that I think yeah. we like as a community don't know about yet. Yeah, yeah. So it and, again mm-hmm. adds to the stress. You're right, you're right. And and the other thing that comes to mind, which I thought about before I also came to Canada. So I'm from Australia. And one of the things I, I, I always heard about Canada is just the notion of how welcoming it is. Not only that, but but how um, relatively easy it is to sort of settle in as a new immigrant and how smooth the immigration process is actually supposed to be. So I just, I just sort of wonder, is that, do you think, a concept that a lot of immigrants think about before they decide to move here? Like this image of, of Canada as like just very, um, you know, just, just an, it'll be an easy process. I think that definitely weighs into it because to a lot of other countries, Canada is seen as this very like multicultural, diverse area where mm-hmm. it's very easy to call home because you'll always find a place here. And while I yeah. do think in some retrospects that's true, I think this like identity that we've created ourselves, especially during such like 
a stressful time like the pandemic has kind mm-hmm. of created a lot of like intake because again we have like free healthcare here so especially yeah. with the pandemic people might have been thinking that it might be easier to manage a pandemic in Canada so mm-hmm. I think a lot of like factors made this situation so chaotic yeah and I definitely do think it weighs into the amount of backlog and amount of people trying to get into Canada yeah yeah exactly exactly I mean it's just in a way you kind of understand why it why it came about but it, it doesn't really make it any easier for the people that are kind of stuck in this you know gray area or quite literally between countries I think yeah. there's, there's really nothing worse than like not knowing where you're going to be staying in the future and not knowing whether or not the people that you know and the friends that you have here are temporary I mean that's that's so difficult so I just wanted to ask you I mean why is it that why is it that you think that moving abroad can be so isolating for families, even though they, they're together and they might have each other, but why do you think the process is so, so isolating? I think it can be very isolating because of so many steps you have to go through in mm-hmm. order to gain that citizenship. Like you have to be living in Canada for a few years. And during that time, especially if you have a family work permits, or student visas for your kids might have to be processed. Mm -hmm. And I think because of the amount of backlog there is, that processing can take a very long time. And during that area, you might be in Canada, living in Canada, but you aren't able to gain employment. And Mm -hmm. it's very hard to find an institution that will accept kids without student visas. So because of that, it's very hard to get integrated into society because really your life isn't able to start yet because you're kind of stuck in this limbo. Yeah, that's right. And if you don't have people here already to to sort of like help you through it, it just makes it harder. Yeah, it's it's so, so difficult. I mean... Um, I, I couldn't even tell you whether or not it's easier if you have a family, if you have kids, if you have dependents, because that that's another thing entirely. Um, yeah, I just, I just really, really feel for, for anyone who's going through that process, um, because it's lengthy and, and it lasts a while. And, you know, even if I think uh, you're able to finally get some closure with, um, with your visas and, and things like that, actually taking some time to call your new community home is, is, is another challenge. And I mean, it's so hard. I mean, why do you think it's, it's so difficult for, um, for, for that to happen, for it to take sometimes years or or decades for some people to, to actually call a place home? I think one of the big factors that kind of lead into moving and being able to call another place home is cultural integration. I Mm. think one thing that, uh, affects a lot of new families is that it's not the same place. Like, although Canada is definitely very diverse, that diversity has kind of melded together to create its own sort of culture. And I feel Mm -hmm. like coming from a place where you thought you could fully maintain the same culture you had where you were living previously to Mm -hmm. being able to blend into this new culture it can be a very daunting process, especially if you're coming here without knowing no one. So yeah. it's like, I feel like a big part of being able to assimilate and integrate into a new culture is the people you know and the friends you make 
and yeah. just being able to start a life in a new country that kind of allows um, that development of finding your place and where you belong in that culture. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because of COVID with being stuck in our homes, lockdowns, masks, mask mandates and everything. Yeah. It's been so crazy that it's so hard to be able to integrate fully into that culture, mm-hmm. especially if you're moving during COVID. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I did that. And it's honestly so, so isolating. Yeah. And it's, and it's really hard. I mean, especially if you're coming from a country with different, um, cultures and customs, culture shock is a, is a very real thing. And I mean, that's, that's something that a lot, a lot of people have to face, you know, when they're, when they're moving around, they're moving abroad, uh, sometimes to the, the whole other side of the world. Um, is there really anything you can do to ease that? Is it better to like jump in the deep end? and make a whole bunch of new friends or is it is it something that you have to do gradually and and maybe it's important to try try to keep um a lot of your um you know culture around you I think it really depends on the person some people are able to just jump into a new culture and become fully integrated within like a month but some mm-hmm. people need to be able to have that memoir from home and be able to maintain the same traditions and I think for those people it takes a little bit more of a gradual ease into a new environment mm-hmm. but I definitely think like the people that you come to Canada with affect mm-hmm. that for example mm-hmm. if let's say a family was coming they might want to maintain that culture a little bit more because there's more people to think about but if it was just one like individual coming moving to Canada I think mm-hmm. it'd be a little bit easier to integrate since you have the freedom to just jump into society and talk to as many people as you can without having to think about anyone else yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Exactly. I mean, sometimes you you do I think have to take that that first step and that there's always a little bit of worry I think associated with that. Um yeah, so I think it's it's definitely difficult for anyone, but also there's probably a matter of uh, you know, finding your your identity or holding on to your identity really for for people who are, you know, just coming here, they they're trying to like change their their whole life and I I always wonder is that something that do you think a lot of people sort of struggle with? Um, you know, after you spend a certain amount of time in, in one place, are you are you really count like counting yourself as a, a complete uh, citizen of there, or are you still like holding on to where you came from back home? And yeah, do you personally find like there was like some always some difficulty with that? I definitely think there is difficulty in that, especially if like it's very hard to move from one place to another when you have a life in your previous place. Because mm-hmm. especially if it's like long distance across time zones, it's very hard to maintain the people yeah. that you knew back home. So mm-hmm. I think that moving into a new society and being able to find like similarities and everything and be able to really find your place in that is a very isolating and very difficult process because you're letting go of so many things and you are kind of just dumped with a lot of new information and culture shock and stress. Mm -hmm. And Mm it can be very, very daunting. 
Yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, oh my gosh, it was just so difficult. I mean, I've been here for, for two years and I do, I fortunately was able to make, make a few friends, but then again, there's this like distance, I think between uh, physical distance, obviously, but then a, a sort of an emotional distance that can grow between you and the people that you've left back home. And that's, that can be really, really hard to deal with as well, because, um, sometimes when we're not, when we're not physically around people, we just naturally grow apart. And I mean, this could be your family, this could be your friends, but it's almost like a guarantee. So I think that's something that's not really, really talked about is there's almost like a bittersweetness to it. When you do end up finally making this new city or this new country, your home, that's great. And that's such an accomplishment, but also with that obviously has to really come like this sort of letting go of, of, you know, a lot of people that um, knew you when you were, when you were back home. I think that's, that's probably kind of like the, the worst part about it is yeah. Almost to like build your own like new foundations in, in a country, you kind of inevitably do have to let go a really big part of yourself and whatever you left back home. Okay, so I just wanted to get into um, your uh, project a little bit more. So I know that um, a lot of it was involving um, art and art as a therapeutic, um, art as a th- like as a way of therapy. And I was just wondering, um, how did you come to uh, think about that? Was that something that you just came up with, or was there a, a sort of a light bulb moment there? So how that kind of came about was that, so since I think about when I was 14, 15, it was definitely during the pandemic, I struggled a lot with my mental health. I was feeling very, very isolated amid the pandemic, and it was very um, stressful and a very daunting time for me. So from that, I kind of fell into writing, like writing fictional stories, creative writing, writing short stories. And that's how I kind of came up with my own way of coping with what was happening around me is that I would just be able to sit down, write it all out and get it all on paper. Mm-hmm. And that's how I know how I transitioned that into targeting um, using art as therapy for immigrant youth in Vancouver. Um, mm-hmm. I think people coming from all over the world and um, even people living in Vancouver, everyone has a story to share. And I think stories can be a nice way of being able to connect with the world and communicate how you feel. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how, what I wanted to um, share and teach the people who are coming to the workshop was that Um, Even though you might be lost in this completely new city, you still have stories to draw from. You still have somewhere you belong. You still have an identity that you can share with the world through either art or writing. Wow. Yeah. And exactly. And, and you still have people that could relate to you. I mean, there that's, that's, that would be amazing. There's sort of like a sense of, of oneness there. I think that, um, a feeling of a lot of other people have gone through what you're going through or, or feeling the same thing that you're feeling right now. Um, which is, which is great actually. And art, art is such a good way to get that out. Was there, um, a sort of specific, uh, way that you were doing that? Like, was it a uh, painting or, um, was it, uh, an, like a different kind of, um, art? Um, like during the workshop. Yeah. So at the workshop, I mixed in a bunch of different medias. 
I kind of had this slideshow going that explained a lot of um, science behind art therapy and mental health. And on top mm-hmm. of that, I created a lot of activities and different games for the um, participants to play. I brought in a lot of art supplies like paints, um, pencil crayons, watercolor, charcoal. Um, I brought some pen and paper as well for those who wanted to write. And I just got everyone to try a little bit of everything, got them to go through some exercises. Like one of the things that I um, got the participants to do was just like take a moment and think about like, the happiest memory, the um, saddest memory and a funny memory they had and figure out a way to communicate all three um, using the media that they wanted to use. And I wow. think that was like a really fun way of being able to um, not only like explain to them how it all relates, but also get them to experience it themselves. So maybe um, this method of coping might work for them as well. Uh huh. Yeah, that's really interesting. I kind of like that because it sort of gets them to sort of draw on their their own experiences or or, or memories and put it down on paper. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you know what the when you were doing research for the project, did you find the link between um, sort of art therapy and and mental health? There, because there is something there, but I'm not exactly sure what it is or why art is just such a uh, such a great outlet for your emotions, but there has to be some real science behind that. Yeah, so there has been a lot of research done on this. Um, it has been proven to help with conditions like depression, anxiety, um, even some cases of, I think it was schizophrenia as well, mm-hmm. and um, bipolarism. Uh, those four in particular, I saw a lot of research done on. Um, it definitely it kind of works as an outlet, like a very private space and a very personal space that the artists can just let loose and create something that Mm. they understand. It's kind of like your very own safe space. Mm. It's somewhere where you can just let free and let loose. And I think that's what gives it so much benefit to Mm. aiding conditions um, such as depression and anxiety. Oh, yeah, I see why I see why that would be as well, because there isn't um, a sort of pressure to verbalize what you're what you're thinking or what you're feeling. And that that can be kind of stressful and, and confronting. But I think to actually put it into art and it has an abstract quality. And like you said, only only, you know, what it really signifies. I think that's that's definitely the, the root of it as well. Um, so the, in terms of the, the numbers, I mean, how many people showed up? Was it kind of what you expected or was the crowd a little bit smaller? So the crowd was a little bit smaller for this session. Uh, I think we had about, I want to say around eight to nine people. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them were from most of them were youth. We had a few different age ranges outside of that as well that wanted to join in. Um, yeah, it was a little bit of a smaller crowd, which was a little bit expected. I didn't yeah. expect like too many people to be able to come in and show up as it oh. was um, still in person. It's still around when COVID was 
kind of going crazy. So it it was definitely a smaller crowd, but it was a very nice, open, understanding group of people that worked really well together and was able to help each other and communicate with each other. So it was was very nice. Oh, that's good. It's cozy. So the vibes were definitely there. The vibes were 100% there. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Was there any like artwork in particular that kind of just blew you away? Something that you saw and you were like, you know, wow, wow. Yeah, um, there was this 12-year-old kid. She was a immigrant from, I think she was an immigrant from India, I think. And she created, like, during the um, activity that I, I shared about the happy memory, saddest memory, and funniest memory, she created this really beautiful train, almost, of, like, cycling through each memory. So it was kind of like a pathway that um, depicted each memory, and I thought that was very beautiful. Wow, wow. I just can't even think about how you would come up with something like that. That sounds amazing. Wow, that's really interesting, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, you sort of would have a little bit of artistic talent as well, but just a lot of that would probably channel or come through your your emotions and your memories. And yeah, wow, to think of to think of something like that is pretty incredible. What was everyone's like reaction to to the class itself? Were uh they really, you know, keen and really interested? And do you think they would I mean they would do it again if you if you had another chance? Oh, I definitely think a lot of people would do it again. I know I got some um, really good reactions from it. Um, A lot of the participants were talking about it afterwards as well for a little while. Mm -hmm. Uh, I definitely think if I hosted it again, people would definitely come around, show up. I think we might even get more people if I hosted it again. Um, The feedback was definitely really good. People um, found a medium that they really like to work with. And I know a couple of people that still use these mediums till today. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's an excellent, excellent medium, especially for, for what, um, what the intended purpose was. I mean, sort of, um, as an outlet for, for mental health. And do you not think why, why is it that, um, sort of mental health is something that's still so stigmatized or, or really difficult to talk about? And do you actually think it, it's more rampant, uh, or more, um, uh, not, not as much talked about in, in immigrant communities? I definitely think there is a massive stigma when it comes to mental health in immigrant communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the idea of mental health as a, significant and real condition or a real category of conditions is still a new concept to a lot of older generations. And I know a lot of the older, more traditional populations have had trouble trying to wrap their head around it Mm -hmm. because especially like back in um, kind of the older days with a lot of um, families across the world in different countries, mental health wasn't seen as um, something you were born with or condition, it was seen as a choice or wow. something that um, led to a lot of really dangerous things like substance abuse and yeah. um, alcohol abuse and stuff like that. And that's what mm-hmm. it kind of got associated with. And I think in a lot of immigrant communities, that has definitely carried over. Um, it's very hard to t- 
talk about mental health in in these communities because everyone is going through some kind of uh, crazy thing in their life and kind of still like getting situated in this new environment and um, having like a lot of older generations from different backgrounds that Mm -hmm. followed this mentality that, um, oh, you're not sad, um, just like smile kind of mentality. Wow. Yeah. That is very, very rampant within these communities. And I think it's very hard to talk about it since there's such an ingrained mindset that um, you're not actually sad. This is all an act. And I think especially with some older generations and Mm -hmm. um, like rising generation Z kids coming up to power, there is definitely a conflict of interest there because I think a lot of older generations see teenagers these days as very dramatic and (laughs) taking things very far Uh, um, when in fact we are all just trying to find our way through the world. Mm-hmm. And I think there is definitely some changes that are going to be made when our generation kind of comes up yeah. um, to make that a lot less stigmatized. Wow. Yeah, that is very, very well said. And it's true as well. I mean, that Gen Z is is kind of on the forefront of at least acknowledging that mental health is real. But I, but I found quite disturbing as well, something that you said where it's not only is it not acknowledged oftentimes with, with older generations, but the fact that they actually will sort of blame it on, you know, you or the person suffering and say it's a natural consequence of your actions. So like you said, like drinking or, or, or partying or whatever it may be, like it comes from, from that is probably just one of the worst things I've I've ever heard, but it's so sad that something that's something that's still being told to this day. It's being like reiterated, and I just couldn't imagine the blame that would be internalized if you heard something like that and you were struggling as well. Um, is that something you've heard like firsthand, or you just know from from other people? It is definitely a phrase I've heard many times firsthand. Um, oh my god! It, it, I know a lot of other people that. I've heard that exact phrase firsthand. It's a very common one that you'll hear a lot in a lot of communities. Yeah. I think one, it's definitely very, it's an interesting dynamic because mm-hmm. when you're kind of like, like from my perspective, when like you're a little bit more open with this um, and a little bit more open with mental health, you tend to be able to see um like what is exactly happening in the older generation's mindsets. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people from this generation, I think they themselves are struggling too, but they mm. don't know themselves how to term it. Like, I think a lot of them internalize their emotions because that's what they were taught. It was kind of mm-hmm. the norm back in the day to just internalize it, keep it in and don't really yeah. share it too much. And mm-hmm. I think as like society is growing and um, younger generations are starting to come up, we're starting to very slowly break down a lot of barriers, like a lot mm-hmm. of societal conditioning of both men and women, even mm-hmm. the 
knocking down of the concept of gender. Like right. there's so many things happening that kind of add to this. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the older generations and the immigrant communities have a lot of adjusting to do to this, to all, all these new concepts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it definitely, definitely sounds like it. I mean, do you think that there is sort of such a thing as re re-education almost for, for like such issues, like, like you said, like mental health or pers- perhaps just, you know, do you think it's possible for older generations to gain new perspectives on, on, on gender and, and say the way that Gen Z views the world, or is it kind of like a, no, like, don't even go there situation? I think it's definitely very possible for them to be able to understand it at some point. Mm -hmm. While I do think it will require a lot of explanation and trying to um, be able to comprehend it in a context that they would understand, it would require a lot. But I definitely think there is potential for a level of understanding. Mm. Okay. Like I know a lot of older mm. generations they like look on social media um after they figure out how to use it and then they'll um find all these crazy words well to them it's crazy but they'll find crazy words like trance um right. intersectionality and then like i know a lot of them have come up to being like chaya what's gay what's trance what's intersectionality <laughs> and it's like it's so amusing because to me it's like an everyday thing but like to them it's like this whole new world and it's it's very interesting to be able to like sit down with them and break it down and make them understand and even after you break it down some people are resisted some people are like yeah that makes sense it really it it really depends on how open a certain person is to all these changes but I do think there is potential for mindset changes Mm-hmm. Because like you said, it's something that, I mean, these things have always existed, right? These like concepts. The only thing we're doing is actually putting a name to, to, to the word or, uh, you know, a name to the, to the thing itself. So it's not like we're, you know, reinventing everything or, you know, creating our own uh, terminology here. But of course, it certainly would be shocking, I think, to someone if they, you know, I've never thought that way or never, never heard about that before. So yeah, that's definitely, definitely a challenge for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And um, just uh, back to, back to your project quickly, was there anything that you think you would do differently if you could, you know, have a chance to, to, to sort of do it all again? Like, was there any bumps in the road, I guess, that, that happened um, during the group? I think one thing I would Uh, try to do again if I had the option to go back I think I would definitely make the workshop a little bit more condensed and a little bit smaller Um, Mm -hmm. not in terms of like people but in terms of content Um, I think a lot of the real experience that came with the workshop was being able to actually go through the process and really do some like soul searching, find out what emotions you're feeling, what memories are attached to what emotions and be able to get it down on a pad and paper. I think that's where the real experience lied and not in the amount of research studies I pulled up to make them understand it. 
Um, it was right. more like the hands-on learning that really, um, really like made an impact. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's more about like actually taking part yourself rather than, you know, reading about it or, or yeah, having someone sort of dictate to you the reason behind it. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. It sounds like it was really successful though. And, and a lot of people had a good time. So, so good job with that, with that organizing. So would you Thank do it again you. If, you, if you could? I definitely would if I was able to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and um, just in terms of the application process, so I know you got the the grant for that. How did that um, sort of come about? I mean, if you could walk me through the process, was it was it lengthy? Was it difficult? Or um, how did you find that? So the application process itself was pretty straightforward. It wasn't insanely lengthy. It maybe took me about fifteen minutes to completely fill out, which. It, it made sense uh, considering the amount of questions and like them wanting to know like what it was for, what the plan was in terms of the project. I think it was definitely like a reasonable um, length in terms of the application. Uh, the entire process of being able to uh, use the grant for the project and the benefits that came with it was definitely very helpful. Uh, I definitely would not have been able to make it possible if not for the grant. Mm-hmm. So it was there was definitely many benefits to it. Um, the reporting stage for it, when it came to um, like the aftermath and being able to share how it went and everything, it was actually quite nice to be able to do that because it even gave me a chance to really look back and reflect on it and see like okay what went well what didn't and. Um, how much I really valued and enjoyed the process of doing it. Because mm-hmm. while I was kind of creating the project, um, there were points where it was like a little bit stressful. I was like, okay, what if like this doesn't work? Or like, what if this isn't taken well? Like there was definitely parts of it where I was kind of rethinking how I was doing it, especially since I was running and like coordinating this project alone. Mm-hmm. Um, there was definitely some very daunting parts of it however the reporting section of the application um really allowed me to look back and think like wow like that that was a good thing that I did and that was there's a lot of value in the service I brought to the community oh right 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 yeah yeah so I mean that's that's good though I think I think that the process kind of helped you and once you actually got there um you sort of already knew what you were what you were going to do but that's good that's good like it really seems like it it turned out well really well overall um so so that sounds great and I think what I wanted to get from you just before we wrap up is um I wanted to sort of uh the question back on you and ask if there's any particular aspect of uh, mental health that you wish more people knew about or anything else that you would just really, really love to to touch on before we go. I think one aspect of mental health that I think people should know is that the person is not at fault for their condition. Mm -hmm. They're I think in a lot, especially as you're growing up, there is is a separation between um, kind of like you as a person and then what your brain is thinking. I think oftentimes that can come in conflict and that's where a lot of 
conditions can come from. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important to know that these conditions are not at the fault of the person. Thanks again for tuning in to the Rising Youth Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as we enjoyed producing it. Visit podcast.risingyouth.ca or wherever you get your podcast to subscribe and hear more episodes just like this one. If you'd like to know more about Rising Youth, visit our website at risingyouth.ca or risingyouth.tig on Instagram. Thank you so much, Taya, for being on. It was a pleasure having you. I um, hope you had a great conversation.